Good morning. Who here had a good Thanksgiving? Let me see your hand. Hey, that was good. Who here had a rotten Thanksgiving? We got any Grinches? No, I'm kidding. Um, anyone tired of leftover turkey? That's not a thing. Well, some of you it is. Yikes. Don't tell your mom that you're tired of that turkey. Um, I don't know. Is the turkey fatigue, is that a real thing or is that a fake thing? <laughs> What'd you say? Huh? Um, so yeah, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We met up with some family out in Geneva and uh, got to be at a hotel for Thanksgiving Day. Got Wegmans rotisserie chicken. We broke tradition with chicken, those poor chickens. Um, but Thanksgiving Eve, because we're at a hotel, we were like, hey, let's go get something that's all American. Let's order pizza. So we ordered eight pizzas, and I went to pick them up from Domino's, and they were slammed. And I asked the worker, I said, are, are you normally this busy on Thanksgiving Eve? And she said, it's our busiest night of the year. So I guess we like to prepare our foods, our, our stomachs, for a big meal with pizza. That sounds like a healthy choice. Um, and while it may not be a healthy choice, it was easy and delicious. So anyhow, we're talking about healthy choices in our valuable series. How can we embrace these five uncommon and yet healthy attitudes? And since we're talking about food and I'm making everyone hungry, let's just keep on that theme for a minute. If you are at a restaurant and there's an issue and your, your server can't help you, who do you ask for? You ask for a manager. Why? Well, they're the boss. You got to speak to the boss. The buck stops with them, right? They're the big enchilada. They're the head honcho, the, the big cheese, whatever you want to call them. And the buck stops with them. 13 years ago, this church hired a 26-year-old to be their senior pastor. That sounds dumb, right? And what quickly happened is even though he was the youngest guy on the team, people thought that he was the boss. And so people would go to him and they'd skip and bypass other more experienced people on the team. Now the church had a few years before that changed the constitution to reflect that there's no one person who ran the church, that it was a team-led structure. And so he just went to the elder team and said, could we get rid of this title? People think I'm the boss. And I'm not, and I don't want to be. And, and ever since then, there's been this shift that we've had to teach through because it's this really odd, unique thing that most people aren't that familiar with. And I want to share with you this morning why that structure that we have as a church is actually an ancient idea that's a really healthy idea, healthier than pizza before Thanksgiving. And as we talk about it, there are implications beyond church. There are implications for your home, your marriage, your family, your parents, and beyond. And so I'm going to teach through something that's an uncommon attitude. That's what we're talking about. And I hope this is helpful so you understand, oh, that's why Brian does it this way. But I hope it's also personally helpful and maybe causes you to reexamine the way that you do life and marriage and family. So, despite the turkey fatigue, you ready to dive in? All right, so if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, right at the beginning of your Bible, in your chair Bible, if you grab that, it's page 4, right near the beginning. And uh, let me welcome our other campuses. We've got Cincinnatus and Bainbridge and Front Street 
and online, all joining us by simulcast. So, uh, Green here, can we welcome all of our other campuses and thank them for joining us? Welcome, guys. We love and appreciate all of you joining us. Genesis 2, as you take your chair Bible, if you are using that, let me tell you, you can take that home with you. It is our gift. We would love to gift you a Bible. Genesis 2, here we go. Verse 18 is where we're going to begin. And and this is one of the very first recorded sentences we have of God in human history, and it's a very unique sentence. God says, the Lord God said, it is... Not good for the man to be alone. The guy's going to starve. He doesn't know what to do. It is not good for man to be alone. Now, pause there for just a moment. This isn't a statement about Adam. Okay, it's not like Adam was this extreme extrovert who needed people time and he was shriveling up. This was the first day of Adam's existence. I mean, he's only been alive for a few hours, and God looks down at him, and he's like, no, that's not good. And it's not like he messed up on Adam. He's just like, I don't think I'm finished. Up till now, in six days, God's created the the universe. He's created the galaxies. He's created animals. He's created fish and birds. And then he creates the first human. And up till now, everything that he's made was good. He said it's good. But now he makes a guy and he says, that's eh, not good. And again, it's not a slam on Adam. He just looked down and he's like, man shouldn't be alone. And so God is a really good God. He springs into action to fix this problem. And God said, I will make a helper who is just right for him. And so God gets to work and he creates His final (laughs) act of creation was a woman. And he took the woman and he did the first wedding ceremony and he teamed up this man and this woman. And then he steps back and he says, everything I've made is very good. Now, what God created on that first day wasn't just two human beings. God made a team. He said, it's better they're together. It's not good for man to be alone. He puts them together. He gives them instructions for how to do life and do it together. And they really quickly went and messed it up. I mean, it's a shocker, right? Because we all, we all do so well in our marriages, right? That They instantly went and messed it up. They didn't team up like they should have. Adam actually allowed his wife to be tricked. And, and, and she was tricked by the serpent, by Satan, and then Adam went along with it and and rebelled against God too, and kind of everything broke. And since then, teams have really been ruined. In fact, God said there's some huge consequences and curses as a result of that. And if you look at chapter 3, I want you to read what one of those consequences will be. Verse 16, he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. Imagine that, up until then, there was no pain associated with childbirth. But God says, no, 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 it's going to be painful now to reproduce. And, and you will desire, this is what's strange, you will desire to control your husband. I don't know why I heard some chuckling out here. You will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Was that God's design when he created them? Not even close. 
And God's like, as a result of this, you are forever going to have a power struggle in your marriage. Now, I'm glad we've evolved beyond that. No one here has ever dealt with a power struggle. But this has been the human plight since then, is there has been this power struggle for control. And, 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 and that power struggle for control spilled out of the family. It spilled into communities and it spilled into nations. And what people began to do is they began to, rather than team up, it's not good for man to be alone, they began to put man alone as the executive leader of their communities and their nations. And, and what they ended up doing across the world is creating this, this, this position called a king. And it became standard practice to put a human in an executive role. Now here's part of the challenge of doing that. Humans by nature are flawed. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. You've heard this. And so there was this constant disappointment and disarray and disagreement and there was this constant battle for control and power. And one day in all of the mess, God selects a family and says, through your family, I'm going to build a nation. And God does exactly that. And that chosen nation, guess who their king is? God. And God literally creates a theocracy. Now, a monarchy is a nation with a monarch in control. A theocracy is a nation with theos, Latin for God, in control. And so God designs this theocracy for his people. He said, I will be your leader, your king. And the people loved it. Not quite. The people, God's people, looked around at all the other nations and they, liked, they said, listen, we like the nations that have a king that they can see. We want a king that we can see. And they very quickly rejected God's leadership. And God's heartbroken, but he gives in to their demand for a king. But God was not willing to do the same type of monarchy of the other nations around them. So what did God give them? He gave them a team. Now this is interesting. If you're a student of Scripture, you know this, but some of you may have never have heard this. God gave them, instead of a pure monarchy, he gave them a separation of powers. He gave them a healthy balance of leadership. He gave them a prophet, a priest, and a king. And they were all three to work in tandem. One was never to trump the other. Israel's first king put that to the test and tried one day to be a prophet and a priest and do what only a prophet and priest could do. And guess what happened? God fired him. The next king decided to go independent and do his own thing, and he was confronted by the prophet, and he responded very humbly and admitted he had done wrong, and God gave him a second chance. The third king gets on the throne, and he's like, I don't think we're supposed to be acting like monarchs. I think we've messed up this structure that God's given us. And so he wrote a book of wisdom, and in the book of wisdom, he keeps saying repeatedly the same thing. Let me show you just a few examples. This is Solomon, the third king of Israel. Without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. You notice this is the king talking. Wise leadership is important for my nation, but there's safety 
in having many advisors. It's good that I don't act like a monarch. He's saying, I need a team of advisors around me. Look at what else he says. Plans go wrong for lack of advice. He looked back at his dad. He looked back at king number one. Many advisors bring success. He said this, plans succeed through good counsel. Don't go to war without wise advice. Look at this one. So don't go to war without wise guidance. Victory depends on having many advisors. Does anyone see a theme here? He repeatedly talks about the importance of team leadership. He repeatedly says that even kings should not act like monarchs. Is it any wonder that years later, centuries later, when God is now moving away from building a country and he's now going to build a global movement of his chosen people, is it any wonder that God retains this same concept of team leadership? Here's what's fascinating. Jesus did a very unique thing when he chose his successor. Who did he choose as his successor? You're all like, uh, is this a trick question? It's not. We don't have an answer because he didn't. He chose a team of 12 guys. His team of 12 guys were all jockeying for position. They all wanted to be the guy in charge. And through Jesus, you can read it in the Gospels, they're all jockeying for power and control. Remember what God said to Eve, you're going to desire to... To, to, to control your husband and he'll rule over you. This, this human power battle and control continues all the way to the time of Jesus. And Jesus keeps trying to tell his guys, guys, that's not how I'm structuring this thing. I'm not going to turn over the keys to, uh, to the kingdom to one of you. You're going to be and operate as a team. And right up until Jesus' last week with them, they didn't get it. They kept jockeying for control, jockeying to be that number one person. And Jesus so patiently kept trying to get it through their heads. And here's one of the things that Jesus said one day when, when it was going off the rails and they were all fighting. Jesus was like, guys, I'm about to die. And they're all like, ooh, can we be the vice president? And, and Jesus said this. He called them together. Guys, team meeting time. Come here. And he said this. You know that the rulers of this world lord it over people. Do you realize that that's what leaders do? They lord it over people. I think many of us feel lorded over by some of our leaders. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. And humans hate to be controlled by others, but that's human tendency in leadership. But, I love what Jesus says here. Read the yellow with me. But among you, it will be different. I imagine the guy's like, are you going to give us some discussion questions on this? Is this an open book exam? Because we're going to have to talk through this. It's going to be different. How? We don't know how to do different. The whole world is structured this way. With that one person on top and everyone fights for position, fights for approval and favor for that one person. Jesus is like, guys, among you, among my kids and my family and my movement known as the church, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And Jesus here reemphasizes this idea of team, servant, leadership. A few years after this, when the church began in the book of Acts, 
there's no singular leader of the church. It's a kind of confusing structure. Jesus is the only leader. And then you have all these other local leaders in the first city where the church began in Jerusalem. And those local leaders of the church kept meeting in weekly gatherings across the city and launching new gatherings. We might call them campuses back in the day, right? And launching other campuses and churches throughout Jerusalem. Eventually they got persecuted and they they spread into Africa and Asia Minor and up into Europe and eventually through the whole world. And what happened as they multiplied is this leadership thing, the structure thing for the church that formed was very consistent across the early church. And we find examples of this all through the New Testament. They were led, these local churches were led by, here we go, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. They were led by groups of guys known as elders. Now, some of you may be thinking, okay, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. what about the apostles? Were the apostles were the team that launched the church in Jerusalem and then beyond? But every local church had a team of elders. Some of you might think, well, what about Timothy? He was a young pastor that Paul put in charge of the church at Ephesus, right? Ah, uh, not quite. He was a young pastor that Paul put in Ephesus to be what we would call today a teaching pastor. He would be responsible for helping to lead and teach and shepherd at Ephesus. But there was a team of elders who were responsible for the leadership of the church. So what if I told you this morning that many local churches in America are structured in a way that was foreign to the early church? So you say, well, how are many local churches structured? Many local churches are structured to be led by either a pastor or a board of deacons or the congregation. And that was just a very foreign concept to the early church. Now, remember that 26-year-old senior pastor I told you about? Yeah, way back in the day, that used to be me. And I don't think I would have made it 13 years here in one place if I had kept that title because people made assumptions about it. People assumed that I was the one in charge. People assumed that the buck stopped with me. And that is a very unhealthy model of leadership. But let me just be really honest. It doesn't mean just because team leadership is healthy and you see it all the way from Eden all the way to Acts and all the way till now, just because it's a healthy model doesn't mean it's easy. And I want to give you an example. How about we go back to 2020? How's that? During the the first year of COVID-19, our church leadership had to make some hard decisions. Do you remember that? Some of you want to block that out, so do I. But here were the hard decisions that had to be made as a church. Would we obey the government directives? Would we reopen and when? Would we require masks and distancing? Would we forbid singing and the Lord's Supper? Would we allow small groups to meet again? And if so, when? And at first, when it seemed like this was going to be a short-term emergency, we were all on the same page. But within weeks, it became clear that this wasn't going away quickly. And so we began to have some pretty strong disagreements. For months, I completely disagreed with our leadership team. 
And in our weekly meetings, I express my views pretty strongly, and I explained how my conscience was being violated by our decisions. And I just didn't know how to pastor in light of the decisions we were making. But I was a minority voice, right? So I, I walked out of the meeting each week, and then I had to make a decision. Would I follow the team, or would I go rogue? Some of you that know my personality know what I wanted to do. But, but, I'm committed to the core value of team leadership. And so I publicly supported our decisions. What made it even more challenging, though, is as the teaching pastor, I was responsible often for communicating the very decisions that I completely disagreed with. And so later that year, a guy from one of our campuses met with me, and we, we went in his truck, and we were driving somewhere together, and he launched into a list of complaints about our church, about how we had handled the pandemic. And I was quiet as he talked, and finally he stopped, and he was kind of frustrated, and he looked at me, he's like, why aren't you saying anything? And I just admitted the truth. I said, because I agreed with every one of your complaints. And I honestly thought he was about to drive off the road. He was shocked. And he was flabbergasted. He said, well, then why are you communicating and following decisions that you disagree with? And I told him the truth, because we're a team-led church. This isn't my church. And I don't have the right to force my views, my opinions, and my conscience on the rest of the team and on the rest of the church. And he was silent for a little bit. And finally, he said something to this effect. This is what stuck in my mind. He said, I guess as messy as teams are, they get it right more often than individuals. That sound a little bit like King Solomon? And, and it got me thinking, and in that moment, I, I, I thought of green beans. Some of you know my love-hate relationship with green beans. But I thought, you know, green beans are not super exciting, but they're healthy. And teams are like that. They're not super exciting things, but they're really healthy, and they're good for you. And so learning how to be unified with a team you disagree with was a really hard thing. Because up till then, we were almost complete unanimous in almost every decision that we had made. And here's what I want to say. We got through 2022 as a church unified and focused on Jesus Christ. And I give the credit to that to our team. To our team. They deserve a hand. Teams get it right far more than individuals and single leaders. There is health and wisdom in a team. And here's what's kind of ironic. Teams reflect God because God is himself a team. You ever thought about this? God is literally three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. His very nature is a team of three. And he shows us how to do teamwork and make the dream work, as the saying goes, because God is this unique nature of a team. Now, I don't understand how each part of God is co-equal. I don't understand how they have different responsibilities. I just know that's how God has described himself. That's who he is. And Team Trinity sustains our world and gives life to each of us and builds this church. So team leadership is not a new fad. 
It's an ancient idea as old as God himself. And so kind of the idea when you read about Genesis and the mess, when you read about Israel and their desire for independence and control, when you read about the disciples and the, 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 the constant battle for power and control, the idea that you find repeatedly in Scripture is that we need to rebel against independence. That's not a very American thing to say. I get it. But we have in us this, this independent streak, this desire to be in charge and control. And repeatedly through Scripture, you see that what's more important than being in charge and control is to rebel against independence and team up under Jesus. Now, you can probably tell that we are passionate about this model of church team-led. But I want to be really clear this morning. I am not, and we are not, in any way condemning churches that follow a different type of model. In fact, for most of Brian's history, we were a pastor-led, deacon-team-led church. And God still used us and blessed us in mighty ways. We have nothing but love for churches that are structured differently. We don't think being team-led, elder-led is the only way to do church. We just think it's the closest match to God's design. We think it fits with the example of the early church, and we think it's really healthy. In fact, Here's what I would say. If you disagree with this model of team leadership, we would, we would encourage you, find a church that matches your value. Whatever model you believe in, find a church that matches that. And we bless you. We release you. There are many churches in our area that do things differently. But we here at Berean have as one of our core values to be a team-led church. And I want to explain that a little more, but but I want to use first an example from today, from the government, to show you why things can go off track, off the rails, if you're not sticking with your team-led structure. Our founding fathers, when they created our nation, do you know what they looked to for their advice and how they structured They looked to the Bible. And they came up with this idea of a separation of three powers from Scripture from some of the same passages we looked at today and others. It was fascinating. And they developed a system of government that had three co-equal and distinct branches. The judicial branch, the legislative branch, and the executive branch. They designed it that way. Now, as people and as Americans and as citizens who, who want control and power, when we get our guy in the White House, we cheer him when he takes his pen and signs executive actions that, that do what we want him to do. But when the other team's guy gets in office and does the same thing, we're furious. And it's going back and forth every four to eight years. Have you noticed this? And our current president just did that thing. He used his pen to sign unilaterally, eliminating a portion of college debt at hundreds of billions of dollars in taxpayers using executive action. And a, and a, and a district court judge just struck it down. And here was a quote from his opinion, which I thought was fascinating. He said, in this country... We are not ruled by an all-powerful executive with a pen and a phone. Instead, we are ruled by a constitution that provides for three distinct and independent branches of government. Now, remember this. If your guy's not currently in power, remember this when your guy is in power. We are not a nation that's ruled by an executive. And I would encourage you with this. We are not a church that is ruled by an executive. We are a church ruled by Jesus Christ. 
And our Constitution is the Bible. And it is our supreme document. And I think we move away from this model of team leadership as a nation to our peril, as a church to our peril, and even at home to our peril. We refuse to be a man-led or personality-driven church. We are a church with a chief shepherd, and his name is Jesus. So if anyone asks you, who is our lead pastor? Who is our senior pastor? Your answer is, it's Jesus. We can't see him. It makes it hard and complicated and messy. But he is truly our lead pastor. All other pastors and leaders, we are under shepherds. We are servant leaders under the leadership of Jesus Christ. This is not our thing. It's not our church. We are under his leadership. And it's why we have a pretty lengthy process for hiring pastors. It's why we have pretty high standards for selecting elders and training elders. Over the next couple of weeks, our members will be voting to bring on two more elders. We don't do elder terms. We don't do political terms of two years or three years or four years. We, when a guy becomes an elder here, they're here for life. They got to die to get out of it. Or, or, or retire, right, as, as Gary Esterbrook is going to do next month. And he served faithfully as one of our first elders that we've ever had here at Berean. Over 15 years. And he has done what an elder should do. He has led well. Humbly. With a ton of faith. We have two new guys that we've been training all year. Assessing their character and competence and chemistry, and calling. And we are so excited to present to our church family, Randy Hay and Danny Kurtz, as two new elders for this church. Next year, we will be training three more guys to become elder-level men. And again, that's a level of service, not a level of control and power. And whether those guys ever go on to be elders or not doesn't really matter to us. We just want a whole bunch of qualified and trained leaders at this church that we can share with other churches, that can serve across our campuses because that is the heart of God. We're often asked this question in our team leadership model. This is the most confusing thing I think of anything. Why are there different guys preaching every Sunday? That gets people really annoyed. Can I give you the answer? Well, we'd, we'd let Jesus preach every Sunday if he was here, but he's not. So it's, it's for the simple reason, we don't want you to follow a person. And it's human nature to look for that one person. But this is not a following of people. If this is a true church, it's a following of Jesus. And so here's our guarantee, our commitment to you. At every campus, every Sunday, you're going to hear the word of God taught in a way that's clear and helpful. Doesn't matter who's doing it. You're going to hear the word of God taught in a way that's clear and helpful. We refuse to have a church that's a personality cult and that's driven by one person. Does that make more sense? So if you don't understand biblical model of elder-led church leadership, here's some things to study. Study 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and you'll get all the qualifications for church leaders. Study books on this that have been written giving biblical history, like Biblical Eldership by Alexander Strouch. Great recommended book if you're a researcher and you want to dig into this more. 
And if you're newer to Berean and this is new to you, like, thanks for listening. Like, you're getting a behind-the-scenes peek at why we're structured the way we're structured. And I want to tell you, you might have, and you're probably here, Berean, because there's things you love about this church. And what you may not realize is a lot of what you love is that way because of our structure. And so that's why it's a core value. It's not something we're willing to give up. It's something that's pretty important to us because it's healthy and reflects the heart of God. And I got to tell you, as part of the team here of leaders, it is such an honor to serve and lead here. Here's, I think, God's clearest command and encouragement to both leaders of a church and attenders or members of a church. It's in Hebrews 13. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Sometimes people say, well, who are you accountable to? God. That's scary. Like that is an enormous responsibility. The elders, the leaders of the church are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this, to watch over your souls, to lead with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. And I can say for the vast majority of the years I've been at this church, it has been nothing but a joy to lead and serve here. And then look at what it says. Thank you, Jonathan. I love you too. Verse 18, here's, here's now the request for church leaders, the next verse. Pray for us. Some of you do this every day and you've told me, thank you. Some of you do this on a weekly basis, thank you. Pray for us, for our conscience is clear and we want to live honorably in everything we do. Hebrews 13, 17 and 18 is I think where it all comes together. So, as we wrap up this valuable series, you may be a little confused at this point, saying, okay, for each week up till now, we've had attitudes, and today we have a model or a structure. What's the attitude? Are you giving me attitude? Why would you ask? No, I'm kidding. What's the attitude for this team-led idea? And here's what's kind of interesting. Team-led isn't just a model. Team-led is in itself an attitude. It's a value. And it's one that only humble people can hold. Because there's this inner power struggle for control that all of us by, hum- by nature have, and we've had it all the way back from Genesis 3. We desire to control others. We desire to have power over us. We want our way, and we fight for that. And this model of being team-led is an attitude first and foremost. And that's why the model doesn't work without the attitude. The leaders of a church need to have that attitude, and everybody else needs to have that attitude for that to work. So, this is God's design. It's not good for man to be alone. Let me take it the next step, just real briefly here. Personally, remember I said there's implications in your family and in your home? Personally, personally. Let me, let me speak to dads and moms for a minute. Are you a monarch in your home? A dictator. God did not place you as the authority and the ruler of your home to be a dictator. He gave you, if he gave you kids, he gave them to you so you could nurture them to follow Jesus. 
So every time you pull out that I said so card, or do that because I'm dead, or I'm mom, right? Every time you and I do that, we are stepping into the role of a monarch. And that is a role that will make our kids inwardly rebel against that. What is more important than controlling your kids' behavior is winning their hearts. And humble leadership wins their hearts. And so just a word to moms and dads, like even your kids need a team. So maybe you're a single parent. It's still important to have a team of advisors, people you go to who have wisdom, and you're not doing that thing alone. If you're, if you're married and, and you're, you're, you're a mom and dad, team up with each other. Your kids know when you're not a team. They look for the daylight, and boy, they slip in through it, don't they? Even little kids. Whew. Mom and dad, be a team in your home. God designed that on purpose from the beginning. It is not good for man to be alone. It's not going to work out well. Be a team as much as is in your control. Kids, here's the deal. Your mom, your dad, your grandparents, whoever it is that's raising you, they're not perfect. Have you noticed that yet? <laughs> I heard a yes. <laughs> Proud parents sitting here. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. Like, we're messed up as parents. We just don't get this right a lot. But God is asking you not to be independent. He's not asking you to be independent. He's asking you to be submissive, to obey your mom and your dad. It's one of the Ten Commandments. He's promised a good life for you if you obey and honor and respect your mom and your dad, your grandma and grandpa, whoever it is that has authority for you. So let them parent you with joy. Don't make it hard on them. Like, they're doing their best. It's not easy. Someday, you'll be on the other side of that. You'll be like, wow, this is harder than it looked. <laughs> There's an amen. Let them parent you with joy. Let, it, let, let your attitude and desire for independence tamp it down for now. Someday, you'll be a boss. You'll have a team, and you'll be in charge. Not right now. Not right now. Pray for your parents. Pray for your parents. They got a hard job. It is not easy to raise you in this world. So my, my plea for all of us is let's rebel against independence. Let's team up wisely with other people. And let's lead under the of Jesus Christ in our churches and in our homes. Amen? Amen. Would you bow with me in prayer? Listen, this morning we, we talked about power, we talked about control. And I just want to ask you personally a question this morning. Who is your boss? <laughs> who, who is your boss? And, and if you're the boss of your life, how's it working? And, and my guess is probably not that great because we're really good at leading poorly, even ourselves. We're really good at making a mess of ourselves. We, we try to follow our hearts, but our hearts are deceitful and they're, they're not trustworthy and they lead us into wrong decisions based on emotions that we couldn't control. So let me ask you this morning, have you ever had a moment where you gave up 
control of your life? Have you had a moment where you said, okay, I'm done being the boss. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let God be my boss. I'll tell you, there's probably nothing scarier than giving up control. And many of us cling to control tightly, and sometimes it's because we, were, we face difficulty, people that we should have trusted were not trustworthy or, or maybe abused us or whatever the case may be. And so we hold on to control to prevent ourselves from being hurt, but in the process, we hurt ourselves because we're not meant to be the bosses of our own lives. I want to tell you something. God is much better than any boss you've ever had. He will never let you down. He will never harm you. He will only do good to you. And so maybe this morning, the, it, it starts, being team-led starts with teaming up under the leadership of God and saying, okay, God, I'm done being boss. I'm going to let you be my boss. It's not good for me to lead this thing alone. And maybe like that famous country song, Jesus, take the wheel, you're saying, okay, I'm stepping away from the driver's seat. And I'm turning over control of this wheel to God. Listen, if you do that, I know it's scary. But I got to tell you, I'm proud of you. And we as a church family, we're praying for you. Because it is the hardest but best decision you'll ever make to give up control of your life to God. And on this new journey of faith, as you walk away, step away from your, your sin and, and turn towards God, it starts by acknowledging that he's God. It starts by admitting that his son needed to die in your place. And he rose from the dead three days later. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And if you give up control today, that is the message that you walk away embracing. Father, thank you for each and every person today that surrenders control. And God, some of us did it years ago, but we find a need to re-surrender every day because by nature we just keep clawing back that control and power for ourselves. God, forgive us for leading in pride, in arrogance, for exerting our will on others, for having these power struggles that we should have never had. God, let those words of Jesus be resonating in our mind. It should not be this way with you. Help us as parents to parent well. Help us as kids to, to obey and respect our parents. Teach us how to have this humble mindset. And God, this Thanksgiving season, we, we close today with a song and just thank you. We thank you for being God. We thank you for never giving up on us. We thank you for your kindness and patience. Help us to lead the way that you lead us. You made yourself a servant. You humbled yourself. Teach us how to lead like that. We pray this in the awesome name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.